Welcome to Fighting Words this week. Donovan here. I'm jo- joined by Joned. Joined by Joe Brinkman, who's been on the uh, on the podcast before. Hi, Joe. Hey. And um, just for a reminder's sake, what what do you do at Redeemer? Most people Are know. You remi- but Are you minding me? I'm reminding you of your responsibilities. Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> I uh, I well, so I'm over seeing musical worship. So you're on staff, you're a staff pastor. Staff pastor, full-time. I know this is news to a lot of people. Well, you never know, Especially Joe. my daughter, who don't... asked me what I do the other day. <laughs> One time, Allegra asked me why, when we had the building down uh, in Mountview, she asked why I had keys to the church. Yeah. I was like, you have no idea what's going on in life. <laughs> All right, so Dorothy, your father's a staff pastor. I'm a staff full-time. pastor, full-time, overseeing musical worship, and... Why do you say musical worship? Yeah, because worship is more than music. Oh, okay. Continue. And then um, I oversee global in CR and in CF, and then um, also taking on uh, what we're calling focus ministry. So mm, mm. walking with people in times of intense discipleship. Right. And um, when not- they need to slow down and focus on particular issues. That's right. That's good. Is that counseling? No, it's, we can't call it that. But is it that? It is that. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Why do you say you can't call it that? Well, so nobody is giving professional input or advice, and so we want to make sure that's clear. Yeah, it's a technical kind of it's a legal, legal term, basically, right. that we're not licensed counselors. Now, that doesn't nope. mean we could not provide insight that's you know helpful and maybe even some more helpful than some counselor might, but we're not counselors. That's right. Now, some people might be confused because people know that I'm in a Master of Arts in Counseling degree uh, right now. I'm working on that, and um, some people think that means I'm going to be professional when I'm done. But I just want to be clear, I'm professional right now. Dang. No, I'm just joking. I I, will not be licensed through that. I don't get any special... uh, certifications through that degree. It simply is a tool for me to use as I meet with people and oversee this ministry. And so it's uh, in no way am I a professional counselor, nor will I be when I'm done with that degree. So it's it's merely a more ongoing training to help me do what I already do. Back to the musical worship thing. You, um, yeah, I mean, you said that music, worship is more than music. And uh, I think most most Redeemer people get that, and worship is a posture toward God of affection and mm-hmm. adoration, and that can happen in all of life. But because of the history, culture of the church, whatever, that, that term has been co-opted to some extent to just mean music. So someone visits a church, they say, the worship was great. Right. <clears throat> they mean the, the music. So people now, we now we have to modify the word. Right. Musical worship. Um, at the redeem it, I was uh, at a church and I they had a their bu- in their bulletin, they had the order of service, and uh, they were making that point. You know, it was like worship through prayer. They had their liturgy: worship through offering, worship through preaching, worship through scripture reading, worship through music, and then it just said announcements. <laughs> 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 you can't worship through announcements, or at least they're not going to even try to. Maybe you could, but they're not. That's not part of their vision. Right, it's not in there. To stop worshiping God, yeah, during announcements. 
You're just going to be in the flesh for the announcement. <laughs> Most people are anyway. They're just <laughs> they're just calling it what it is. Let's be honest, folks. Just anger through announcements. Um, you just went to Denmark. Yeah, I did. Had you been there before? Nope. First time. Did it make you want to live there? No. Why? Why do you it's hate too the expensive. Danes? It's expensive and it's cold and it's it is pretty though. It's it's a nice place. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's a lot more pretty than here. Really? Yeah, like the buildings. Like the architecture is old. Architecture is old. The streets are cool. The bikes are ever everywhere. Everybody bikes everywhere. It's uh, good food. Generally, yeah. What else? Yeah, it's fun. It's a nice place, but I w- I wouldn't want to live there. Yep. So you went to visit Christian and Stephanie Roth, who used to be members here for years, and then they went off with the IMB to be involved in church planting in Denmark. And you went to touch base with them, encourage them, see mm-hmm. what they're doing. And overall, fruitful trip. Yeah, definitely fruitful. Good times. Good good to experience what they do, their life, their rhythms as a family their contacts that they have there for, for future church planting and getting to know what they do in, in, in the culture, like how, what, what are they up against in the culture there, which is kind of like America in 80 years probably, maybe. In, in what way? Of, you know, they call it a post-Christian culture in Europe, which means that um, they have, for, in large numbers, gone away from Christianity it's just a shell. It's not a substance. And so government reflects that. A lot of socialist ideas. Um, Are you saying socialist is non-Christian? I am saying it's... it's Because uh, now we're, uh, these are fighting words. These are fighting words. And, um, and I, I do think that there's aspects of government that reflect a non-God-oriented way of thinking. And so... Some of that has to do with hierarchy. Some of that has to do with um, I, uh, how do you trust the individual versus trusting the mass. Uh, there's a lot of issues in there. But Boy, we'll have to come back to that. Come back to that. Wow. But yeah. But no, I totally believe that, well, I mean, you think about monarchies, you think about a lot of things that, that, that were rooted in a, in a Judeo-Christian mooring you know like they're they're anchored in something that comes from the scriptures and so as the culture goes away from uh a theocentric idea of humanity you know god-centered way of thinking so the structures shift something else has to take the center but within that there's certainly evidence of grace like taking care of the poor is a good thing yeah just you know, I'm not saying that socialism is void of God reflecting values. It's, that's certainly not true. But the the basis of it is is rooted in atheism. Well, yeah, the great you know the great writers of socialistic writers are not not Christians. No, no, they're replacing God with the state. Yeah, and uh, and it makes sense. Basically, if you were if the people, the populace as a whole, was loving God and filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing and good works and generosity, then you would need less centralized control. But as the populace becomes less like that, and someone needs to step in and fill that gap, I think is the... Yeah, so for example, do you do you want the government to tell you not to spank your kids? Or homeschool them. Or homeschool them. It's illegal. 
in Denmark to do those things. So, you know, I mean, there's caveats to that, but in general, those are the rules. And, um, <laughs> no, I mean, literally somebody's going to come and say, you can't spank your kid. And if they get wind that you did, you know, uh, there might, there's possible jail time there. There's fines. There's, you know, that's difficult. And why aren't you allowed to homeschool them? Because they want to educate them. They want to tell them the way things are. They don't want you to do it. Mm. All right. Well, we'll come back to that. That's a can of worms. Here's what we're going to talk about today. And my working title for the episode is Hearing from God. Um, I may change that depending on which way the conversation goes. Several weeks ago, I posted uh, on Facebook a quote by Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair Ferguson is a pastor, teacher, author uh, type guy. Theologian. Um, theologian. Um, and I just read this, maybe it was an article you gave me. Yeah, it was. You gave me an article. So this is your fault. It's mine. I was read the article and the sentence stood out to me. And so I posted it on Facebook and it generated some discussion, you know, dozens of comments. And usually if it's a, if it's a nice quote that everyone finds, you know, encouraging, it just gets a few likes and yeah, whatever. Everybody agrees with that, Donovan. You know, God is good. Great. You know, like, um, except maybe one guy that hates God, like, ch- chimes in. But this, the fact that it generated all this discussion, I think, means that it was onto something. It was maybe maybe an imbalanced quote, maybe out of context, or maybe onto something. So that's what we're here to talk about. So here's the quote by Sinclair Ferguson. The determining factor of your existence is no longer your past. It is Christ's past. And then I added comments. Let me reread that. The determining factor of your existence is no longer your past. It is Christ's past. And then I added, uh, we literally need to stop believing that our childhood is the reason we are the way we are, Christians. That has died. You are a new creation. So, um, what what motivated me? Um, well, it struck me. It struck me as truth and helpful. And I see uh, myself and others. I believe overemphasizing what I would say overemphasizing uh, our nurture, our earthly nurture is. Um, why we are the way we are. And again, some of this comes down to emphasis and nuance, you know, and so, so it generated some, uh, some, some banter and we'll, we'll read some of those comments, but as you saw that post, you interacted with it and, um, you, do you feel like you can summarize what the rub was? Like what, what was at stake for people, some people were championing it. Some people were, I think, maybe pushing back against it. What do you think people felt was at stake for them? And we're just reading into their motives. Who knows? Like, yeah, so yeah, no yeah. names named, but you know, we can discern what people are saying and right. hopefully understand what they mean. <laughs> so, what seemed to be at stake? Well, I mean, it was somewhat provocative with the way you said it, which is in keeping with your character on Facebook. On Facebook, <laughs> in general. And so my character's think, provocative. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
so are you. You're worse than me. No. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We don't need to go there. No, it's yep. good. I think it's a gift in some ways. But I the 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 Okay, so you got a lot of people walking on eggshells when it comes to trauma, when it comes to physical disabilities, when it comes to mental illness, when it comes to And the reason is is because we don't want to make people feel bad for something we perceive is not their fault. And right. that's not wrong. I mean, that's grace. So that's when you mercy, say people are, are walking on it, so that we're either just friends or counseling or teaching, coaching, leading in some way, giving input, they've experienced some kind of trauma that has that has had an effect. Right. And, and the eggshells part is not wanting to blame the victim. We don't want to blame the victim, and we know that we know inherently there's layers. There's layers to these issues. Um, so we are gentle, and sometimes more than gentle, we are afraid. Mm. And so I think your comment cut through that in a way that's a little bit ab- abrupt, ungentle, th- compared to the to the norm of how people would talk about their past. And people, I think, it stirred something up. Now, what you said was not, it wasn't nuanced. So at face value, it could mean a lot of different things. And I think people reacted, um, you know, with a bit of defensiveness to it because of former experiences we have with people telling us to just get over a problem. Mm. So I think a lot of people heard that in what you said. You know, you're like, hey, it's not your past. Basically, get over it. <laughs> That's what Paul you know, said. You are a new creation. I had a friend What's once. What's up with Paul? Yeah, he said that you're a new creation. I had a friend once that had gone through a breakup. I literally right? just quoted the Bible. <clears throat> right. Well, no, that's not true. There's well, we'll get to that of, in a minute. We'll there's get a lot to of my words in there. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute, because if you read Scripture, it, it's not too gentle about these things. So, But we see some beauty in it and some grace in it. But I had a friend in in college, uh, right after college, he had gone through a breakup, and um, we were camping together, a group of us, and he was just really negative about everything. And unfortunately, the rest of us had our wives or girlfriends with us. So, you know, he was kind of the, the, lone, the loner, and he was just, everything was just negative. And I finally just said, dude, you need to get over it. <laughs> That's why he's taking counseling classes online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you just need to get over it. And he he was so mad at me. Mm. He just dropped some F bombs and I mean, it was it was intense. And you know what? He was right. Not to be angry, but he was right to be hurt because what I was doing was I was in in a sense I was saying, Hey man, you're raining on my parade, just stop. Get over your problem. And so I think people have those experiences where somebody's told them that, and it's been hurtful, and it's been inappropriate. But, but, there's also a sense in which a true word that speaks healing to you, that can be cutting like a knife, like a surgeon's knife, it's getting at a false identity that you've formed around your pain. And so it goes both ways. There can be the appropriate cutting truth of God's word 
you know, that we're going to get into here. And there can be the inappropriate, um, nonchalant, selfish uh, words of people that have really, they have caused harm to people that have come out of trauma and come out of pain and people just disregard it because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with somebody else's pain. And they're like, dude, just get over it. And I think people, yeah, so I think people are reacting in different ways based on their experience with that, especially in the church, right? You know, covered by the blood, forget it, you're good to go. And people are like, I'm not, I'm, I'm hurting here and I don't feel like you care. I get that. I think that's totally legitimate. And um, so I think that's what explains a few of the, rea- a few of the reactions, you know, and. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, so if I could also just maybe back up here and, and attempt to maybe generalize the issue here. Part of this relates to the discussion of like nature versus nurture. Like, are we the way we are because of our nature, who we are in our essence and essentialism? Like we, um, is that the primary factor in determining who we are and how we react? Or is it our nurture? Is it our culture, our training, our parents, our trauma, or even our positive enforcement and, and things like that? And in the psychological world, that's a big debate. Um, uh, and people land at, at different places. Hard hard atheists cause that, cause, what would you call them? Cause that, people that believe in a strong causality actually go strong toward nature. So like uh, Sam Harris believes we have no free will. Uh, he believes because we are just a sequence of atoms and atoms after atoms and chemical responses. And so he's going to fall hard on nature. But most of the psychological world is not that way. In fact, I think they err more on the side of nurture. Here's what happened to you. Here's the things that, that you were subjected to. And, and, um, uh, and that I would think that's an imbalance. And I am gonna I don't call it an error either. I would I would say theologically, I would say the main issue is nature. So now that doesn't mean there doesn't need to be wisdom and nuance and how I lead and speak and all that, but let me let me defend that biblically. Like um <clears throat> good trees bear good fruit. That's what Jesus says. You, you, the things that are coming out of you reveal what you are, right? So trauma is just um, an external experience on your nature. Your nature can react in different ways. And so Jesus experienced trauma. But what came out was radically different than what comes out of me when I experience trauma. So the di- in fact, he experienced more trauma than I ever have. Uh, number one, I've never been crucified. Number two, any kind of suffering I have been ex- exposed to, I deserve to some extent because I'm a participant in sin. Jesus, 100% holy and innocent, received way more trauma than I ever have, and yet his reaction was always trust, righteousness, goodness, faithfulness, love, fruitfulness, um, even righteous anger, right? All, everything that came out of him was perfect. And the reason is his nature was different. So to me, it's just, 
is it very clear that the nature is the determining factor of how I react. So, uh, you know, I was raised, you know, by imperfect parents. Great. So was Jesus. You know, I was disregarded by culture as a whole and bullied. So was Jesus. So for me, theologically, nature is the, t- the determining factor. If I could use an analogy, um, your nature is, is the element, let's say it's metal. And culture and your parents and the kids you went to school with and even an abuser came and they threw things at you, which were mag- magnets, and they stuck to you. Now, why did they stick to you? Because you're metal. That's why they stuck. Jesus was wood. Same things being thrown at him. They don't stick. The nature is the difference maker. So how that relates, and we can we obviously gonna talk about that, then what do we do with nurture? What do we how does how do we take that into our conversation? And is it nothing? Does it mean nothing that my parents slapped me around? Or does it mean nothing that I was abused? Or does it mean nothing that I was abandoned? Uh I feel like I want to say almost <laughs> because I'm taking a very, very, so, okay. So oh, thoughts on that. The idea of, am I speaking too strongly? Like nature is the determining factor. Well, no, I think that's biblical. I don't think any of us should argue about that question. If we're Bible believing Christians, I think that we have to say, you know, we're born in sin. Um, otherwise we're saying something completely different theologically. So, yeah, absolutely. Nature is the determining factor. The, the trouble is with, yeah, so we're, we're establishing that fact. I think, and I Now, think, I do think that, so, for just real clearly, or real quickly, I don't think everyone's clear on that. No, you, they're not. You, you are. So part of the confusion is what you've said about how people reacted in the past to them, or or, or, or even the, how the culture talks, but part of it is not being clear on that. Like, oh, wait sure. a minute. Okay, I need to really think about that and, and I take ownership of that. Sure, like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's people that, that aren't clear on that, even within Redeemer. Um, on our staff. Even right here. <laughs> now, no, and let me just say, I'm talking objectively here, and I think it's true, and in the moment... Something happens to me, and I start blaming. You know, they, this, oh, yeah, they, yeah. that, they, that. It's because it's your nature. I had a conflict with a church member this week, surprisingly. No, it doesn't actually happen that often. As a young man who triggered me in some ways, because I think he was combative and blah, 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 and I got angry, and we talked a few times, and it wasn't helpful. This was not going anywhere good. And uh, I went away to Atlanta for a conference, and... Just thinking about this and stressing about it and praying about it. And God brought me to freedom. And that freedom was, Donovan, this is your fault. Yeah, he triggers. Yeah, he, but why does that trigger you? You, Donovan. And the only way for, uh, finally, after three days or so, came to the place of like, just a rest in that. You know what, God, that is true. I am defensive. I am petty. I am unkind. I am unforgiving. I, so I called him and just told him that. And it was just, that's freedom. And praise God. God was doing the same work in him. And he responded in kind. And it was just great. But I can blame him. And there are things there. And they were unhelpful. 
But the issue is, why does that bother me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why does exactly. that bother me? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really good insight because I just want to affirm you in that. Um, <laughs> well, I just want to air that publicly on the podcast that yeah. I repented well. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, one of the things I'm learning in my program from these guys like Ed Welch, David Powlison, um, that are really great reformed, biblically-based um, counselors— they they often will point out, you know, some things objectively occur in our life, things like mental illness, things like physical illness, things like, um, you know, uh, people treating you poorly, and, and really treating you poorly. Like, you really didn't do anything in that particular circumstance to deserve that kind of treatment. Now, overall, do you deserve it? Yes, as a, as a sinner— but in that moment, did that did they deserve it in that con- in that context? No, these things happen to us. But like you're saying, the the issue is how do we respond to them? So some, you know, and that's what you're saying is, well, I responded in my sin, yeah, and it caused more problems. It just it, revealed me. It revealed you. <gasps> in fact, that's why God sent him. Right. <sighs> And so there's these issues, you know, people will talk about, and, and I think this relates to, to even issues of um, trauma, which, by the way, they bear out trauma. It's being you know, studied. Trauma will change the way your brain functions Physi- physiologically. It will. Trauma will... Mm. It oh, will, oh! It will... It, here's where people get it, it, can your nurture change your nature can your nurture environment which was trauma change the nature of who you are I still would say no Oh, but it does change your body it changes your brain but is that who you are is this your nature you know if and this somewhere mm. I wanted to go today was with the idea yeah. of what is the body? Because often people are dealing with the body. It's your brain. It's your body. It's, it's it's your it's your it's your illness. It's your it's your memory. It's your which is where in your brain. It's and and people point to studies like well, but the brain changes. They take these scans and people that are depressed, their brains are are literally different. And it's like yes. But but first of all, what causes that change, and how do you respond to it? So if we think about, um, you know, on the topic of mental illness or um, things associated like trauma, which affect our minds and the way we feel even phys- physically, how does how does how do we respond? See, we assume. That if it happened to us, we automatically respond a certain way, which is interesting because that's that's uh, assuming that we don't have a choice. But we assume that we will respond a certain way because this happened. But the ma- the fact of the matter is, we are responding out of our nature, and it's revealing that, and we are. We, in a sense, are choosing, even though ultimately we're, we are made a certain way, 
we in our person are choosing to be a certain way. Now that sounds hard because some people are like, no, I would never choose to be this way. I would never choose to feel horrified oh. at the sight of that man. I would never choose to be scared because the lights turned off. I would never want that. And yet we do. And it's in response to something very out of our control. Yes. And so even Ooh. if you think about illness, I think about my wife who's had a chronic illness for 12 and a half years. We, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is one of her symptoms. And, 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 you know, you go to the doctor for rheumatoid arthritis and what are the pamphlets on the wall that you can take out of the doctor's office? They're on depression. They're on the, the mixture of emotional issues that are tied to this illness. Well, why is that? Because it's hard. Yeah. Because your, your future is totally turned upside down. Mm. Because you can't carry your children anymore. Because you can't... And it messes with your mind. Did you choose to have rheumatoid arthritis? Is it in your control? No. But how do you respond to it? And that's what the medical profession even recognizes is a, it's, it's a connected issue to the physiological issue, is the emotional, the spiritual side, where you people are dealt something and you then are in this place that you, you, didn't, you don't want to be there, but you are and you, you will respond. The question is how? You will respond according to your nature. And now we get into sanctification, because now we have believers who are now saying, okay, then if my nature is in Christ, why am I depressed? If my nature's in Christ, why can't I go to that house without being triggered, where I was abused as a child? Mm. If my nature has been changed, why can't I have good sex with my husband? Ah! And these are the questions people are asking. These are the questions that snowball into bigger issues in people's lives because there's shame attached. And in Christianity, there's shame is attached to why am I not changing? I'm supposed to be changing. I'm supposed to have a different nature. I'm supposed to... And people are confused if they're even a believer. Mm. Mm. Right? That's where we are on this issue with so many situations and why people get very, very sensitive about it, right? Yes, yes, because they feel guilted. It's guilt. Shame and guilt. Shame. You should be... So if I say, hey, the determining factor of your... Or I quote someone, of your existence is no longer your past, but Christ. And the, their experience is that they are rehearsing their past a lot, which is part of their narrative then they just feel implicated right i just put them on blast which is generally i mean you know what gets clicks on the internet i mean the marketers know this it's it's a it's conflict if i just say hey jesus loves you i just say something controversial that either makes someone feel like i'm saying they're wrong or guilty about something but when the response comes up and so okay so how do you well, there's the rub then, Joe. You're right. Absolutely. Do, um, do You're saying this is about sanctification and the dissonance, the perceived dissonance between what we are reading, like 
you are a new creation and what we are experiencing like I am an anxiety. Right. And what do you do with that dissonance? And one right. you know one one option is like you said maybe I'm not a believer because I should feel like a new creation. Mm-hmm. Another option is but maybe this is all a fairy tale. Right. This isn't true. I hear you, preacher man, but I feel the same year after year after year. What are, are there other options? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think those are big ones. Yeah. The. Well, um, hope against hope. I mean, there's the other option is faith. Like, hey, look, this is where where I land, and hopefully, where our church stands. This is why it's a fight. We're affirming right. these things. Like our mission statement affirms these things. Right. I affirm that this is not easy. Hey, you're a new creation. Yay, let's go to launch. Like, no, you're at war. Why? Because of your flesh. Right. A dissonance is in dissonance with your spirit. Right. There you go. And th- there's a war there. So it's not, my option is not, oh, forget it, it's not true. Or maybe you're not saved. Well, maybe that's the case, but. Mostly, I don't think that's the case. Most people that aren't saved don't wrestle with the dissonance between their experience and the Word of God. <laughs> you know, like sometimes that can happen. You have some religious guilt in your upbringing or something like that. But right. mostly, you just say, well, "Forget it. I don't care about this." If you're in this war, which we affirm, um, to me, that's that's the other option is to affirm the the biblical reality right. of the tension and dissonance between your new creation what is that and the already not yet we live between the cross and glory we right. we are god's children now but we we do not know what we will be like right. there's something future coming we're in that tension. we're in that tension we're in the frying pan or something and i think the uh, without fail the 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 vast majority of my conversations with people and, and my own story personally, it, it, the, the main confusion surrounds sanctification. Because we're talking about sanctification. What does it mean to be made holy? What does that look like? What is that process? What are the limitations? What are the boundaries? How far is too far? How much sin is habitual sin? How much do I know before... You know, maybe I'm not a believer, and what should I be expecting of myself? What should I be expecting of people in my group? What should I be expecting of people of my children? And so, sanctification is so confusing for most believers. I, I all right, help us out then, Joe. So let me Bring make it, it clear. Yeah. No, so <laughs> there's solve this. You know, there's two passages. You're you keep referring to new creation, which comes from Second Corinthians five seventeen. You are now a new creation in Christ. Okay, so there's two. I'm gonna. There's two main places I want people to to go to. Second Corinthians chapter five, and then Romans six, seven, and eight. So, Second Corinthians five and Romans six, seven, and eight. The past, the chapters six, chapter seven, chapter eight. Because I think if you read through those two areas of scripture in Romans and in Second Corinthians, it says. Almost everything that we usually bring up when we talk about sanctification are in those passages. And the unique, or not unique, but the thing that's that's interesting in both passages is it ties, it, 
it ties the battle, the tension that we're talking about, the already but the not yet, the you know, that tension of the fight, it connects it to body and spirit. So there's this I there's something about the body, the physical body. Can you show me this in the text? So let's look at Romans chapter six. All right. One of the best chapters on 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 what is I love Romans. sanctification. So we the, the issue is with sanctification, by the way, is it does sin reign over you? So are you a slave to sin? Hmm. Or are you a slave to God? There's only two options. So are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to God? And that's laid out here in chapter 6. And the issue is the reign of sin. In, in, in becoming a believer and being united with Christ, there is a definitive breach with sin. And this is confusing for people, right? Well, because Paul seems to say you can be reigned by it still. But he doesn't. Okay. Because let's look in, uh, so in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, the body of sin, might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And then in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. And then in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then in verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So the idea of being enslaved to God that sin doesn't reign in your mortal bodies is, is what leads to sanctification. There is no sanctification without being under God. You're not under sin. You're under God. It, so the, we have to see this if we're talking about sanctification, that there's no like, well, you know, sin's got a grip on me. It's like, if you're in Christ, actually, no, it doesn't. Let me ask you this, and then why would Paul have to make that exhortation? Because he's talking, so we talk about the indicative and the imperative sometimes. He's saying... Define those words. Right. The indicative is, you are no longer slaves to sin. Okay, that's stating something that is. This is what is. This is reality. Therefore, do something. Fight. That's the imperative. It's a command. So let not sin reign over your mortal let bodies. not sin reign in your mortal bodies. In other words, be what you are, righteous. Is it okay? And so this this is where people feel like, but I'm not righteous. I know. Look what I'm doing. I would say this. Nowhere does Paul say for some long period of time you will live enslaved to sin as a child of God. 
In fact, he says the opposite in what I just read. There are lines, there are clear lines that we can draw in the body of Christ about enslavement to sin. And this is getting hairy because this means some people aren't believers that think they are. Okay? It it means you can't just say that you're a believer. There are definitive signs in your life. And the, the and what Paul is saying here is sin does not rule over you. You are not habitually enslaved to sin and even acquiescing to it and saying, well, it's just the way it is. There are seasons in your life, there are periods of time there that you are giving in to sin as a believer, absolutely. But if this is definitive of years in your Christian life, and there's virtually no upward progression, no growth in your life, I think you have reason to question, are you in Christ? I think others have reason to come to you and challenge you in that level. And not because it's a judgment, but because it's saying, man, I'm reading this in the scriptures, and I don't know if this is happening in my heart. And it may be an opportunity to really seek him. You know what I mean? I think that, as I've heard people wrestle with um, assurance, I, I feel like sometimes they get stuck in just a place of panic, like, oh, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not. Like, okay, well, then go to him. Right. And a child of God goes to God. And this is this, this is something that's interesting. Like with 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 you know with sin and with identity because they're tied together. So what are you? You are in Christ. You're His. Your identity is Him. Identity in people's hearts, we can become identified with our our things that have been done to us. So whether it's a physical illness, whether it's a um, a victim mentality of you know this was done to me. We identify in it. And here's what we're doing. We're saying, my identity is where? It's in the flesh. Because where did this all happen? In the body. Yeah. I am in the flesh. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one. We are not our past. That's what he's saying. Doesn't mean your past doesn't matter. It clearly matters. It's in, it's it's totally um, influenced how you how you are, how you see God, how you see others. But he's saying it's not who you are. Who are you as a believer? And I really believe that as as I, more and more I hear this baloney that's like <laughs> we just gotta we just gotta own we just have to embrace these things. And we and and I think it's a reaction. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? You hear we have to embrace our pain, embrace the and and get into the things that happened to us as a child or as a whoever. We have to embrace it and and feel it deeply and let it be what it is. And we have to, in a sense, and I'm not saying everybody's saying this. I'm just saying this is certainly being said. Yeah. Okay. It is being said in Bible believing evangelical churches. And what it is saying is, I guess we just have to put up with this and love each other in the midst of it. I have to love all of who you are, part of which is your victim mentality. 
I have to love you as one who is a victim. Nowhere does Paul say that you are what someone did to you. Nowhere except (gasps) with Jesus. (laughs) You are what he did to you. Dang. Which is what? He killed you. Oh. (laughs) In him we have died, and in him we have been raised. That's what it that's to what? A new creation. And what do we wait for? And this is where the confusion comes in again. We are waiting for glorification, which is the redemption of our bodies. If you follow Paul's argument in Romans 6 to Romans 7 to Romans 8, you will see it culminates in Romans 8 with the redemption of our bodies. Because what does he say? Sin reigns in my members. Mm. Members meaning parts of your body. Oh, I thought he meant church members. (laughs) And... He's saying there is a redemption, there's a full redemption and glorification coming. It's the redemption of our bodies. Think about it. Think about all that goes into our weaknesses. Looking in the mirror every morning, we're reminded of our blemishes. We're reminded of these physical things that relate to our identity. Who am I? How good am I? We, have, we even have physical scars that are showing us the reality of how things that are done to you last. And where is it shown? In your body. We need some stigmata. It's stigmata. And I'm saying this is the reality we live in right now. We do live with the memory of very horrific things in our minds. We live with the experience of horrific things. And yet... The gospel is saying, that is not who you are. You are defined by something beyond what you see. And this is what Paul's getting at in Romans 6, 7, and 8. How do you live that way? It's faith. So what I'm saying is, is when we we encounter difficult problems with ourselves, with others, we don't dismiss it because it certainly influences who we are, and it needs gracious care. But do not acquiesce to it and say, well, this is just the way it is. And I'm going to sit with you in your sin. I'm going to sit with you in your false identity. And if you don't, and if I say anything that challenges it, you're outraged. You're outraged. I think that's, and that's where the quote that I posted is not affirming the, the, the battle. Like, look, I get trauma. I understand that, um, but that's not the end. And so, what you said, really, what we're doing there when we sit there is we are we are believing that that's our identity that that is our by faith, right? So, we are believing that we are defined and ultimately, or probably Christians wouldn't say that. They were, some wouldn't say I'm ultimately defined by that, but in the way that they view themselves and carry and operate, they. They're kind of showing that. And it's really just a faith. You, you by faith, are believing that you are what your parents said. You are what your dad did. You are. And so I get that, but I'm just saying that's not the end. The truth is what you said. You are what Christ did to you. And the answer is to believe that, to believe that as the way forward, to embrace that, um, be set free in that. Right. We just listened to a, when we were in uh, Oklahoma City, 
What was the lady's name that preached? Christine Kane. All right. So there you go. You can tweet about that. But <laughs> it was great. And she was preaching on John 5, the paralytic laying next to the uh, pool of Bethesda. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She might be reading in the text a bit, but I think the thing she said was true. You know, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And just like, do you really want that? Or do you want me to just lay on your mat with you and affirm your infirmities? And do you want to be healed and to take the responsibility? It was it was a great message. It was really good. It, it, do you want to take the responsibility that comes with that, which means picking up your mat, right? And no longer operating as a victim, but operating as a well, a son or a daughter. And uh there was a point in that sermon which I really appreciated because, look, this isn't just a women's thing, but this is I see this in women's ministry a lot. There's a and, and it's because women tend to be more empathetic and therefore they can err on the side. That's the good thing about women; generally, can tend to be empathetic, and therefore the error there is that they can tend to affirm laying on the mat more than is helpful, right? And that's. And the counseling, minist- counseling ministries have been influenced by this because they, they're coming from a place of empathy. And so, you know, it's affirming the nurture issues and just kind of sitting there. And, um, and when, so I was really pleasantly surprised when she said, you know, she was relating her life trauma. She has had trauma. And, and she said, this isn't the same for everyone. And, but she took responsibility. She said, I had to realize the reason I'm on this mat was because of my unforgiveness. You know, like this literally what she said. Yeah, these traumas happened. Yeah, I was abandoned as a child. Yeah, my parents lied to me about being adopted. Yeah, I was assaulted. All this stuff. But she goes, that's not what's keeping me on the mat. What's keeping me on the mat is me and my inability to see my primary identity as being in Christ seeing what he did to me, and out of that, moving forward. And in her case, it, it, it meant extending forgiveness. Right. Forgiveness. Here, here's the thing. We, right, and it, that was, it's powerful because you, you know, when Jesus asks the man that question, do you want to be healed? We, it's a very odd question, because right? Because he... Uh, Who wouldn't? He's 38 years there. <laughs> he's trying to get healed by being in the pool. I mean, isn't it obvious and yet we think, we assume that we want freedom. Uh, why wouldn't someone? Why wouldn't want? Of course I want freedom. Damn it. You know what I'm saying? Speaking, oh, speaking of freedom. <laughs> that was, I was acting, right? That was acting. But that's what, that's what some people are like, right? They're, they're like, oh, of course. And I've been this way. I mean, I've, I have been an angry man that says, of course I don't want to be angry. Yes, I do. I like my anger. Why? Because it's my identity. What I find there is familiarity that is more desirable to me than a man coming to heal me, deliver me. And I say, I would rather sit here. Coddle it. And I coddle it. And it's like, it's like, yeah, it's, you're just stroking this thing and it's so vile. And the beauty of someone coming alongside us and saying, I, that's not beautiful. That thing, I know you're holding on to it. And they can, and here's the thing, 
be gentle about it and they can be loving about it. But at the end of the day, they're telling you something that's hard to hear. And they're telling you it's not beautiful. What you're saying you so dearly want to protect is not good. It's not. It seems so innocent. It seems like something happened to you and it's, you're just protecting yourself. But you're actually protecting an identity that lies outside of the identity of the one who made you. And until you give that up, you don't embrace the new creation. You don't embrace the healer. You don't embrace the life giver. You don't know joy. It's, joy is absent. You know, somebody talked about lament and this idea, well, lament's in the scriptures and the Psalms are full of lament. I would say, yes, but what is true lament? Here's what true lament is. True lament is not despair. True lament is not hopeless. Lament only exists because hope exists. You can't lament unless you hope because lament is based on what you see and what you experience not being what you see. Mm. Lament is, I have seen Jerusalem and its and its temple, and I'm now seeing it destroyed. It's not just destruction. You've seen the whole, and you lament it isn't whole. See, we confuse lament and despair. We say, unless you're totally, like, sad and despairing, then you're not in it with me. You're not in my pain with me. I'm, and, I'm, and that's not true. You can lament... And Paul even does this. Read this in Romans chapter 8. And maybe there's different interpretation on this, but I think he's on to something in Romans 8.22. He says, We know that we that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is that? It's revelation. The Spirit is a down payment, a guarantee of what? What is to come? Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan mm. inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, we groan in a body that has memory, that's been sinned against, that's been mutilated, that's been raped, that's been, you name it. We live in a body that does not forget, and we, and we feel it, and we see it happening to others, and yet we look ahead and really not even ahead, but to what is true even now, though we don't obtain it fully, that we are made new. And in the tension, we groan. So yes, you groan. You lament. But don't confuse that lament with, an, with a despair, a hopelessness. Um, yes. I, I just think that's a huge point. Joe, I, th- I sense you're a, a bit passionate about this stuff. <laughs> That's good. Um, yes. So one, one point of clarification, maybe. We're not saying there isn't presence of sin. We are in these bodies. Who will set us free from the body of this death? But you're talking about the rain. It's like, yeah, sh- sure. I have memories in my body, in my mind, in my heart. I have sinful inclinations still. <clears throat> um but do they reign? Or right. does Christ reign? Oh, yeah. And are we, are we dominated by that? And is that who we are? And, or 
do we make war against those things? And, and we're reigning. And there's a fight, but who reigns? Who's who's reigning here? You know, like, so you're not saying there's not a presence of sin. Obviously, otherwise there'd be no fight. But there's not a right. It's the it's what's reigning. What's the operating system here? What? Uh, and you know, again, these things get nuanced, and I don't have a formula. Like, well, if you if you're caught up in sin for three days in a row, like I don't know. Um, right. Ask God to show you. And sometimes people around you can see, like, man, this person is generally um, identifying with Christ and waging war against sin, or they're generally being subject to sin and slaves to sin. Like, right. And uh, a close friend or counselor maybe help help you see that. Hey, can I? We're gonna go a little over an hour. Do you have a more stuff you want to get to here on your notes? Well, I would just say one one sure. one thing. Go ahead. We believe in a God who heals. All right. Just as we believe in physical healing, yes. we believe in emotional healing. Right. That's and good. I do believe that God will will change your memories in your brain. In yep. your brain. Your re- yeah, yeah. Because we can go. Well, the brain is rewired, and kind of put that outside of the realm of what God could do. That's right. He can do that. Does is it complete and full like the redemption of our bodies on that glorious day? No. But it is certainly a sign of it. He will give evidence of his recreative power by by renewing your mind. I really believe that. Like we can ask God to take certain things from us, things that are very discouraging, things that are very painful, um, pornographic images. I mean, you name it. Like, why not ask him? Yeah. He heals. He delivers. Now, not not again in some, you know, full glorious day. Kind but it could of way. be significantly victorious. Ex- yes, but we certainly we hope for that and we look for that and ask him for that. So I do. Want, I just want to say that, like, we believe in a God who heals wounds. Yeah. Um, so. well, I certainly can attest to that in a lot of ways. Uh, um, yeah, I was healed of addiction. I was an addict for years, ten years. And then when that revelation and transformation came in, like, I was done. I didn't stop doing drugs gradually, and it wasn't a war. It was like, this isn't good. I'm done. I'm free. Now, that's not everyone's experience. And there's other things that I have taken longer. And I'm still wrestling with anger and bitterness. Like, you know, there's just different things. But he certainly can do that. And it doesn't have to be, well, you're going to wage war for 10 years against this this trauma or this experience or this, like, and that was self-imposed trauma. <laughs> well, right. because of other traumas or whatever, but. Yeah. You do want, so let me, can I go back to the situation where this church member who, you know, we had some conflict and, so let me, let me put this in the context of nature and nurture. So in my nature, I'm sinful, prideful, unloving. So there's that. And then in my nurture, I was bullied significantly as a child. And I do think that shape, it just exacerbated that. That's to put me on defense. They say, hey, if you want to survive in this world, you better fight. Maybe real subject to um, what what people say. And, 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 and my reaction then is to like quickly shut people down with a strong show of force and anger. Like, da, 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 all right? And that, that was my whole life. I saw this is how I lived all the time. Um, and so there's because my nature, my nurture played a role in that. But it just exacerbated my nature is what I would say. But it shaped how I, how I function. And then, you know, God has been working on that, growing me since I got saved in some ways significantly, some ways not enough, and at different seasons. 
Um, but so what happened there in that situation, I th- believe that he came at me in a way that I felt attacked. And then in my flesh, exacerbated by my nurture, I didn't respond lovingly and patiently. The Lord's servant must be patient and kind. I was not. It was just, you know, I didn't want to show him he's wrong. And so I bring this up, well, for a lot of reasons. One of the things you were talking about is like, do you want to be healed or do you just want to coddle this? Because in those moments, those couple days, I just want to coddle it because it feels, like you said, familiar. This is what I do when I'm attacked. This is how I find safety and freedom. And in my mind, I'm, I'm building this world of why I was right and why he doesn't understand and boy my position and he's being disrespectful and like there's a I'm protecting myself I think there and building this wall but the reality is it's not it's not a place of joy no no <laughs> it was not, it's not joyful joy. it was not joyful it was well I don't know what to call it it was sick but why are you attracted to it it's familiar and, and, and sinful and that's what we've acclimated to my brain has been wired and blah 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 but by God's mercy he brings me to a place of you know where you really want and where real joy is found is he who humbles himself will be exalted you and the truth coming in you know what you're actually more at fault in this than him that was the breakthrough like why because you're the pastor he who teaches will be held to a higher standard yeah sure he's you know, doing his thing or whatever, but, and take the log out of your eye. This is where the scripture comes to me. goes, you, forget him. He has a speck. You have a log. You're a pastor. You have a higher responsibility. And you know your nature. And you've been through this. And you know the way, and you know, God brings you through to that place of freedom. And now I'm in freedom. And the freedom is in humbling yourself. And, and what's interesting, when I talked to him, he said, thanks for humbling yourself. And I was like, it didn't really feel that way. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like, well, I'm going to humble myself to this guy. And, because that's kind of how it felt. You, know, you have early thoughts of like, well, I should humble myself to this guy. It's like, that doesn't sound attractive. Forget that. No. And you quickly run out of it. You go, no, but he this, this, and this, and this. I mean, you're just crazy, you know? But when God really brings you there, it's it's not like, it doesn't feel that way. Oh, I'm having to humble myself. It's just like, oh, well, no, this is truth and freedom. And like, man, I don't want to be there. I don't want to live there. And right. so there's a little, little case study. Might not seem like a big issue because it's just a little argument or conflict, but it's infused and informed by nature, by nurture, all these things we carry into this moment. And um, I guess I just want to uh, encourage us and affirm that we wrestle with God on those things. He, His Spirit will lead us to truth and mm-hmm. and go, oh, okay, Donovan, you've put up your initial fight for mm-hmm. your for your righteousness mm-hmm. here. But this isn't the end. You know, let not sin, like you said, reign in your mortal bodies. That's that's not who you are and where you will stay and what will mark your identity as a pastor and as a man. And like we're coming through this, and certainly there are situations that are more difficult than that for different reasons. But God is also more powerful than that situation. Maybe that'd be something to add, right? Right. Yeah. And we have to play the long game. I, I think that we really have to. We do. We have to play the long game with our sanctification and not look at the micro level and get weighed down with, you know, for you, you know, in those few days, you were you were living according to the flesh. Yeah. Right. In regard to this person. Now, are you in the flesh? No. But 
in those three days, you were, there was evidence of the fight that still exists because you are an embodied soul who still struggles and fights to see. So you have to look at the long game because the long game both encourages you overall, oh, I'm starting to see this. I'm repenting. I'm actually seeing. I'm responding to correction. I'm, yeah, this is good in the long game. Or the long game also reveals enslavement. You know what? It's been five years and this thing still is just like it was five years ago. And people have come to me and told me and I still don't change. In fact, I say, screw you and get out of here. My kids are now out of the house and they hate me because I've, I've consistently lived this way. And it's, that's, that's something that the long game can also reveal. So I just think we, you know, when we talk about all this, we got to keep it, the, mi- the micro and the macro has to be kept in view. Um, it really is, how do you see the, are you progressing toward God or not in these areas of your heart? Because we will all be up and down in the, in the micro on the everyday. Yeah, and not having pockets that we just say, this is kind of untouchable because of my past, because of the rewiring of my brain, you know, like, yeah, these take these things all before the Lord. So I hope you hear our heart in this, like, I affirm, and we get, I mean, again, the mission statement of the church affirms war. I'm not a flippant person. Joe's not a flippant person. Our church is not a flippant church. We, we're a church who laments, who hopes, and uh, there's a fight, but it's for joy, and, and it's invincible ultimately because it's in God's hands. And so I love that, you know, John, beloved, we are God's children now. We do not know what we will be, but we know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there's, it's, there's so much there. It's affirmation of hope, affirmation of lament. We're not the way we should be. Right. Um, affirmation of looking forward. Ooh, and then he says, and he who hopes in him in this way thus purifies himself. So that gets back to sanctification, how we change is to look forward, to look to Christ's future grace, to look into the promises. Like We lean into that, and, and leaning into that future hope, not despairing, but affirming that you know things aren't the way they will be, um, has a tra- transforming effect, he says. It, it purifies you. Thus, yeah. He who hopes in him this way thus purifies himself. So, and, Yeah, and one, one last thing, yes. I, because I think this is important. You know... A podcast is one thing, and I get fiery, and I get intense, and I think about these things in, uh, in a podcast. Are you regretting the way you've spoken? No, I'm not regretting it at all. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it. But sitting with someone is entirely different. Okay. So I can believe all that I've just said and feel very passionate, but when I'm sitting with someone who's explaining what's happened to them as a child, I'm listening. Yeah. And the reason I'm listening is because I know in the details of their wounding is the beauty of salvation, is the beauty of redemption. And if we don't get to these details, Mm. we miss the beauty of his redemption in their life. So I completely affirm listening to people's stories, hearing what's happened to them, in as much as it leads to the beauty of all the facets of how he will and, and is redeeming this person's heart and reshaping it. So by no means do we overlook yeah. their story. By no means do you do you do you not listen to it. You do and because you 
you value the work of God in those places of their heart. Yeah, it's part of the testimony. Right. That's good. Okay, well, maybe we could revisit this from a different perspective at some point. As usual, if you have things you'd love for us to discuss and topics, theology, Bible verses, cultural issues, uh, whatever, feel free to suggest, uh, and you can send that to Donovan at RedeemerHome.com, and I'd love to throw it on the list. So thanks for tuning in. Pray it's been helpful for you, and feel free to reach out to us for any follow-up. See you later.